0: Aloha! I'm Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and it is that time again for the Curvy Geeky Fangirl Podcast. Essentially, this is a recap podcast in which I go over all of the lovely geeky things that I've come across throughout the week, whether that is something I've read, watched in the movies or watch on television, usually movies and television, and I go over all the things. Uh, that being said, this is definitely a spoiler-heavy type of podcast, so of the shows that I'm about to name off and movies that I've caught, I, if you haven't seen them and you don't want to get spoiled, please pause it here, check out that stuff, and then come back so we can share, we can grow together, just trade ideas back and forth. So, like I said, uh, I'm the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and of course my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. I also write articles for fanbros.com. So you might have checked out some of my sweet, sweet fandom fashions out over there. And, and probably a bunch of other things. I'm also on another podcast with a friend of mine, and that is the People of Culture podcast. Uh, There's a little dose of geek in there as well, if you guys wanna check that out. You can find this particular podcast through the Anchor app. I'm also on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and a bunch more. It just, every time I look back at the Anchor group, they've added a new podcast that this is streaming through. So check it out. If you guys get the chance, it's all over the place. That being said, Anchor is quite interactive. So if there's anything in here that you wanna voice your opinion on and you wanna do a recording and I can put it into the podcast, you can do that through the Anchor app. You can find me on there under Curvy Geeky Fangirl and just add a comment or two and I'm able to put it through the podcast. So that is something to check out. So the shows I'm gonna be talking about uh, basically are gonna be including Into the Badlands, Supergirl, The Flash, The Expanse, My Hero Academia. And I caught Deadpool 2 over this weekend. So I'm gonna be talking about all of those. Deadpool 2, I will be doing a spoiler-free version of that. I'm gonna give it a full week before I jump into the spoilers of it. So it'll just be my initial reactions to it, what I liked, what I didn't like, but without too many details so as not to spoil. So that'll be the one thing that I'm not gonna spoil. But that'll be at the end, so all of that. And I'm going to be starting with Into the Badlands because that comes out on Sundays. So uh, by the time this gets pushed out, a new episode will have been debuted, but I won't be talking about it till the next week. So stay tuned for that right after this. All right, so we're going to be jumping into Into the Badlands uh, really quickest of the quick. I had a few takeaways from this episode, action packed episode. So, this is the episode that aired not this coming Sunday, but last Sunday. So, I believe it was episode five or six. Uh, I'm never ready. I never know. This is how much goes into this. Four, not even close four episode four so episode four uh where we get introduced to my biggest takeaway the fact that we finally get lewis tan lewis tan lewis tan lewis tan lewis tan it was very much a very nice lewis tan weekend for me i caught up on into the badlands i got to see him in deadpool that is a non-spoiler because he's all over the place and he's been doing interviews for the film this entire week so we finally get our Gaius Chow. So Lewis Tam plays a character called Gaius Chow in this show, and as we find out he's actually the brother to Baron Chow right now. Baron Chow is some kind of control freak. She brands her people that she owns, like her cogs and her clippers, and she's just like very much trying to hang on to her power with a steel grip. And it is power that is fleeting. Pilgrim has been either stealing people away with his new message of like hope and and trying to find like a new way to live in the Badlands or uh, straight up killing them. Uh, that huge fort that they took down in I wanna say episode two, that was hers. And you know, she's like, damn it. So we find uh, Guy's chow basically, it looks like he's doing a kata in his cell, which as one does, I mean, you're a martial arts expert. You have a ridiculous amount of time on your hands because you are incarcerated to keep your mind sane and probably to keep your skills sharp. Let's, let's do some stuff we can do within our control. So he's doing this kata. He's actually talking pretty calmly and she strolls in there and she basically tells him, look, I am desperate. Like I need help. There is this new threat coming to this kingdom. I cannot have it. I have. I know you can fight I came up against you before. I was successful in defeating you, but I also know that you know, you're know you a valuable resource. So I'm basically gonna blackmail you and to continue my bidding. And that's what we see. She takes him out of the, the cell and is like, you're gonna help me, I'm gonna kill your men. And apparently he like tried to free some cogs a little, wh- a little ways back, uh, 50 apparently. And so in this show, cogs are usually female workers and apparently he had the audacity to like try to help them get to better lives so uh he was incarcerated and he had this team of clippers that were helping him so she's got them lined up because she caught them they weren't as, as good as he thought maybe or maybe she just had way more people and she's like you're gonna help me i'm gonna start killing your men and of course he hesitates because that's the rules of tv like When when you're the good guy and you are put in a corner where someone's like, if you don't give me the answers, I'm gonna start killing people. You wait to see if they're bluffing. I don't know why, but we're just, we're just gonna, she literally incarcerated him. I'm sure she's murdered gazillions of people. I don't know why he thought maybe she was bluffing, but whatever. So he hesitates. She blows somebody out the lines because they're all lined up. So that's enough to make him flinch and enough for, for him to be like, okay, I'm in. What are we doing? What do we got to do? So she tells him about Pilgrim. She tells him about, tells him about how Pilgrim has uh, basically the, the black-eyed kids fighting for him and he notates them as dark ones. So, so uh, that means he's come up against them before and also knows the risk involved coming up with one of them before. So... He's like, fine, I'm in. This does lead us to an epic, epic showdown between this new kind of, I guess, like Baron Chow assassin team that goes after Pilgrim. So there's a whole meetup with Pilgrim and Black Widow at some point that I will get into more later. And that's when Guy Child decides to take, make his move. And I gotta say, like the whole op situation of how they were gonna sneak in there, like they came in under a boat. It was dope, like how everything came through. It was clearly over the top, like everything in the show usually is, but it was still fantastic. So we see that all go through. They sneak their way into Pilgrim's, I guess, headquarters. And they start their plan of attack. They start going to town. And at first it looks like, it's going to work. They have the element of surprise behind them. And there's not a lot of people in Pilgrim's Little Party right there. It's Caster, the poor troubled dark one, the kid that uh, is going in and out between his state of having dark eyes. The girl that fights with him, whose name I do not know, she's out on a mission. So they're without her and she's actually the stronger fighter. So it's really just Caster. I think like a few men maybe that he's got around him. And then... Of course, the core Pilgrim group. So you got Pilgrim, you got the, I'm going to call her the witch. I'm not exactly sure what her name is either. See, as you can see, I'm super prepared, super prepared and know everything. Um, but yeah, so you see, you see that and they start fighting. So they start fighting and of course it does not go to plan whatsoever for uh, Guy's Chow's whole situation. Most of his men die in the process of this. Castor goes off and he's going hardcore on everyone. And Pilgrim's also doing his bidding. And unfortunately he timed it when Widow is there too. So Widow's there, Lydia's there. Lydia's not the strongest of fighters, but she knows how to survive. So we see a little bit of that. And uh, unfortunately, Gaius gets put, pitted up against Castor at some point. It gave us a great fight scene, the back and forth between these two, just seeing this incredible, the incredible choreography that they probably had to practice and put into motion. It was wonderful. It was fantastic. It makes me a little bit more mad that he is not our Iron Fist, but that's okay. That is okay. Because he is rising like a phoenix right now. So we get all of that and it looks like Guy's child's is going to get killed. Caster manages to basically push his blade into his shoulder not close enough to his heart, definitely not a kill shot because he gets distracted and immediately starts to go after Widow. So, which is really weird. So we know, and then, you know, guys, kind of fades off the scene. So he's probably definitely coming back. Um, I wanna say that in my stalking of Louis Tan, he said that he's in quite a few episodes of Into the Badlands, so hopefully that pans out. We know he's not dead dead. They didn't show us a body, they didn't show him dying but you did see him get hurt pretty badly. So we'll see, we'll see what else they do with that or if he's going to spin this into like an opportunity to finally get away from his sister. So we'll see, we'll see. So that's what we're left with, uh, with Guy's Chow, which leads us to, you know, Pilgrim and Widow. Widow goes and meets with Pilgrim because Pilgrim has been quite successful in spreading the word. I don't know if he's pushing a religion or just another way of life, but he's pretty much convincing a lot of cogs and quite a few clippers to just join him in like this peace loving kind of warrior cult. I'm not. I still don't really know what they're doing exactly if they're trying to get to Azeroth or what. But it's it's a prime example. They like, they're like we're like we're gonna find our heaven on earth, and we we would love it if these people join us. And they're successful right now in these recruiting methods. Their recruiting methods are literally just dropping pamphlets like everywhere they go. <laughs> so it's literally just like these little pamphlets, but it's enough. It's enough to get people moving and for numbers to dwindle for Widow. So Widow is constantly missing cogs. She needs them to get these poppies, um, probably for the opium quality, probably for whatever else poppies are used for. But she needs people to man the land and she's losing people to do that, so... That was what prompted the meeting. Also, I think she just wanted to see who exactly she was up against in regards to Pilgrim. She's smart in that she doesn't just you know, immediately start bursting into places and demanding death. She tries to see what's going on first, not necessarily negotiate, but to get better bearings of what she's up against and then makes her move. So we see her bring Lydia, her new Viceroy, and they are immediately distrustful of everything they're seeing in there. And I can't blame them. You've got this weird hippie lady who's just like, thank you for joining us. You're, you know, the anointed one and we'll see you soon regarding the pilgrim. And it's just like, okay. Lydia is the first to call out the the lady on her. I wanna call her the seer. I'm gonna call her the seer. The seer on her BS. She's like, yeah, I know BS when I see one. So I don't know exactly what you're trying to push here, but we ain't buying, so... I leave you with that, and they just kind of have this back and forth. And, and to the seer's credit, she's like, she's listening to Lydia, but at the same time, she's like, I don't trust you. And it's kind of the same thing with Lydia. She's like, oh my God, I don't trust you either. But we need to do the best we can within the situation that we're given. And then the fight breaks out. And after everything settles, and they they are still standing, you know, the seer and pilgrim are quick to be like, Did you set up this fight? to Widow, like, did you set up this fight so that we'd have to trust you? And yada yada yada. And then I know Widow's gotta be like, no, I, I did not. And she's showing like on the bodies of the poor clippers that had just passed through that they're all branded. And she's like, this is specific to a Baron, Baron Chow. This is the enemy you need to be looking out for. She happens to also be my enemy. So we have at least that in common and they kind of leave it like that in like this kind of weird truce type of thing of like, well, this is what's happening here. This is what's happening there. She's like, I'm good as long as you don't keep stealing my people. I need them to continue to work where they are. And they're, it's kind of an uneasy truths right now. Clearly, they're gonna come at it again. But now that they've seen each other and now that she's got a better handle of what they're capable of, I feel like she's got more information. She also picked up, um, as their, their girl fighter was leaving, they have the same device that the um, oh, the monks the abbots, that the abbots have to seek out another dark one or another black-eyed kid. They have a machine that does that too. So they actually sent her off to find another one. The seer uh, says that she found, she feels another one has been rebirthed and they need to find this person quickly. So, plus Castor is quickly fading. They're making it seem like Caster's got seconds left before he's totally gone, so... All of that, all of that's coming up. We also get uh, Sunny and Moon kind of going up against each other. And I am a little bit embarrassed by the fact that I just realized that it's Sunny and Moon. Like just, like just realized the name play there. Anyway, so uh, there was a whole side story arc for Sunny, Baji, and Moon, in which a group of blind people were kidnapping them and threatening death if they didn't join them. So basically they were cannibals who lived underground because they don't have eyesight. And they were like, we need new fighters. Sonny had Henry and uh, one of the blind people in this cannibal group uh, was was holding Henry and was like, you know, we'd love to raise him. We might as well raise him, uh, but we are gonna take his sight and your sight. We hear you're a good fighter, join us or die. I mean, we could eat too. And of course it's Sunny, so he's like, no. So, <laughs> so, and then we get this whole backstory. Like, Sunny is not surprised by them. Um, when they were sneaking in, he sees the symbol of Quinn. Quinn's old barren symbol is there. Which I'm still very confused as to why it's an armadillo. Yeah, so he sees that, he sees these blind people, and apparently it's starting to, to click, this is a, a memory, kind of comes forth. And he, he realizes these were the same people when he was a cult that he had to blind uh, while he was under Waldo's teaching. Apparently there was like a mini uprising during that time period. And there were a bunch of clippers that kind of ghosted, just, just tried to leave. And a lot of them were from Quinn's group and some were from other groups. And they finally got rounded up by Waldo and then cult Sonny and uh apparently Waldo was given instructions not to kill them but to do something i guess do something else or or some i don't know so for whatever reason Waldo decides you know what we're going to do blind them that's what that's what we're going to do so there was a whole tie in to like loyalty and loyalty being blind but i don't who knows so he just decided on this he does the first guy he blinds the first guy and then he hands it on over to Sunny and is like all right i need you to go after this woman, there's a female clipper that's in this memory and that apparently ties into the female clipper we see holding Henry. I have a thousand questions. I mean, A, these clippers, they're not that old. They're not as that much older than Sonny. These old, these blind cannibals that they're dealing with are not that much older than Sunny. So, and when we see young Sonny as a cult, he's clearly in his like very, very early teens. So I want to say like 14, 15, dealing with grown adults. So... Logic aside, that's the story we get. That's what Sunny sees. Uh, he explains this to Baji. He ends up explaining it to the blind people. And of course, they're not like, oh, thank you for your truth. And they're like, you're gonna die. You're gonna die. So I don't know why you're giving me this information. So, but they also have Kidnap Moon and Moon is missing his arm. He's got the fancy butterfly one from Widow. It's been dismantled though, but it's still within the realm of getting, I guess, it's not right next to Sonny, but it's enough for Sonny to figure out a way to get it and then free himself, free Baji. They have a whole conversation with Moon and Moon's very much still on his kick of, I'm ending Sonny because when I asked him to kill me, he didn't want to kill me. And instead he took my arm. So they're like, okay, cool. Tell you what, we're gonna get Henry and we're gonna keep you here because we already got to deal with these cannibals. I don't need another enemy on me. They go to leave and get Henry, more fight scenes, more of them dodging these cannibals, eventually gaining the upper hand, getting Henry, having a random conversation with the lone female cannibal who's just like, I guess it's my time, and kills herself after she learns all the other ones are dead. Really, really random, and I feel dragged out for far too long, but they gave us that story. After they secure Henry, they come back, And Sunny sees Moon again, and he's very much like, look, I'm gonna free you. I'm gonna let this go. Uh, I guess what they were trying to do was tie it into like, there's a theme that's slowly populating in the show, and that's very much like this cycle of violence and how we need to stop stop it, basically. You just have people who are seeking revenge and revenge and revenge and revenge. It's that whole an eye for the eye makes the whole world blind type of thing, and we literally had blind people. But just showing that like, if you keep you know, perpetuating this circle of violence, it's never gonna end. And Sunny is trying to get to a point where it's going to end. So he gives that whole speech to Moon and is like, I'm for you. If you wanna come after me, we can fight outside. If I die, you gotta take care of Henry. Cool. And Moon, after hearing this, I guess it finally sinks in that he doesn't need to kill Sunny. And he's just like, nah. I'm satisfied with these terms, I guess. I'm gonna give Henry the chance to grow up with his father where you know my son didn't. And that feeds back to the earlier season where Moon explains how like, he left the Clipper lifestyle because he fell in love and he had a child. And at first it was working and then it didn't because of all of the enemies he had created that then took that life from him, so... Now he's like, all right, Sunny, uh, yeah, I'm good with how we left things. It wasn't as, dis- I guess it wasn't as dishonorable as I thought. But um, Widow's still after you. So you should definitely get out of the Badlands and try not to get caught with her because I'm still her- dedicated as her regent. And Sunny's just like, cool. And that, that's where we ended. Clearly that's not going to happen. Clearly everybody's going to get matched up at some point, but at least he doesn't have to worry about Moon for right now. We also got MK, and again, feeding into this theme of like eye for eye, whole world blind situation. MK is, uh, it's right after the aftermath of him trying to get the widow. He's still dealing with that stomach injury he gained from the last episode. It's not healing. It's a bad wound. It's bleeding profusely. And Tilda is trying to patch him up and she's talking to him and he's just talking about how he's getting Sonny. Like now that he knows that Sonny killed his mom, All bets are off. He needs to kill Sonny in order to avenge blah, 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 blah. In a rare, rare stance of me actually siding with Odessa, Tilda's girlfriend, she was just just rolling her eyes throughout this whole speech. And I can't blame her because it is hot garbage. MK went from like idolizing Sonny to wanting his death. And understandably, we're I'm, we're viewing this through spaces because we've had a whole summer, yeah, summer-ish time frame off without seeing anything. So these aren't like bingeable pieces, but I guess in their time span, these things are happening pretty closely together between him being found by Sunny, being raised as a cult, running away, getting separated, all of that. All of this has been running kind of back to back to back to back. And now that he's got the truth of everything, and now that he's capable of doing and carrying out these actions as he wants to do, we're supposed to buy that he's at this point where he is just going to put Sonny down, yada yada yada. But I'm with Odessa; she's just like, shut up, like no, no one cares. Blah 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 blah. Tilda is trying to convince MK that this is a terrible idea. Sonny's already lost so much, like, and you know he—it wasn't like he sought MK's mom out specifically, he was a clipper at the time. This was under the orders of somebody else. So it's not like, you know, he was doing this out of malice, but MK is at a is stage where he is just not listening whatsoever. So he rolls and Tilda goes to go after him, but this is like, just let him, just let him go. Just There's no reasoning with this fool, done. And I kind of had to agree with her. Like this whole revenge quest, for me, I'm not buying it because A, I, I know, I know that this is not gonna pan out. Like that. He's definitely going to have a conversation with Sonny. He's going re- to release all that exposition so that Sonny's on the same terms of understanding as us as viewers. And then there, there's going to be a whole like crisis of consciousness because, on the one hand, this is the man that saved him and tried to raise him. And on the other hand, this is the man that took his mother. Like, we're going to see that come to fruition. And I highly doubt that, as much as we've learned with MK and as much as he's grown, that he's going to take Sonny out. I think we're gonna get mad close to that. I don't think it's actually gonna happen. So right now, all of this hubbub that he's trying to create, I'm not really buying, but it did take an interesting turn. So after he leaves and he's trying to make his way through the Badlands, of course, you know, it's terrible going because he's hurt badly. Uh, He gets kind of pinned down at some point against, I want to say some other clippers. or were they Widow's clippers? Somebody tries to come after him and he's got to hide for a little bit because he can't really fight. And he starts to like fade in and out of consciousness. And when he finally comes back, Homegirl is there. Pilgrim's female assassin chick is there. She's found the other black-eyed child uh, that needs to come with her to join Pilgrim and his whole thing. And they can patch him up and, you know, he sees that she's also one of the black eyed kids. So there's already gonna be like a, an, oh, you too, I get you kind of understanding. And the what Pilgrim is spouting, I think he's gonna really be into because he's also been looking for Azeroth and he's gonna be with people who not only understand his ability, but aren't going to try to police it the same way the Appets were. At least on the surface, that's what it seems like. But who knows? I mean, poor Caster. He's going through it still. So that's where we leave MK. And that's pretty much what's happening in Into the Badlands. It's still such a really good guilty pleasure type of show. It is still primarily action, very little story, but the story we are getting is really, really good. And as I was doing my little mini research into it, I had no idea that it was based on Journey to the West. Oh, there's a lot of shows right now that are out that are based on Journey to the West. So that is really interesting. Uh, If you've never heard of it, if you're a martial arts fan, you more than likely have heard of it. There's been films, TV series, there's another TV series on Netflix also based on it. And it's, it's very interesting. I'm very interested to see how this is all going to tie in together. Now that they've kind of made it post-apocalyptic. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see where all that goes. And then we're going to be talking about, (coughs) excuse me, DC TV right after this. All right, so we're gonna be talking about DC TV and again, I'm going to be merging Supergirl and Flash together because there hasn't been a whole lot Happening in either show. I don't know what's going on with the seasons for Supergirl and Flash right now But I feel like they're lost. I feel like and how it's kind of been explained depending on um where you go like, uh, I I watch a lot of YouTube reviews on these and uh, a lot of the explanations that were given as to why this these seasons are so uneven is that you know they kind of throw a big idea at the top of the season and kind of figure it out as they go. And And granted, I've never written for a show and they do have to spread this out over a ridiculous amount of episodes, like 22 episodes or so for whatever this, for a story that might only be good for like eight episodes. So, I mean, with those things in mind, this is still, I don't understand what's happening with these seasons, this doesn't make any sense. With Supergirl, the I feel like they heard the complaints about the previous season. Complaints for the previous season with Supergirl was that they detracted a lot from you know, the individuality of Supergirl and kind of made her this kind of like awestruck, oh, nearly damsel in distress type character when they introduced Mon-El for her. They had this epic love story That they really kind of forced onto their audience and either you were on board or you were not i was in the minority on that i didn't mind the the romance i did understand like how she kind of was no longer the star anymore it's still called supergirl but monel was doing a lot of the saving and he was being majorly misogynistic about a lot of things but they kind of like tried to work that into the season and made it about him learning But when they got rid of him, I thought like with everybody else, like, oh, they're listening to these complaints and that's the end of it. But no, we get into this new season, Supergirl season three, he's back. They don't make him a love interest, but they also don't really like totally stomp out the fire of possibility there either. It becomes like this really angsty, really teen soap type of drama love arc for them where you know he's in another relationship and can't be with her necessarily and she's going through, you know, the major emotions because she wants it's I don't understand why we need this. I don't understand why we need this in this season. It's just coming off really tedious and really drawn out. And I don't understand why we need it. I don't get to get it. We could have introduced a bunch of new people. And this is definitely biased by the fact that I now know in the comics her and Brainiac become a couple at some point. And I just really love Jesse Rath. And I don't understand why we can't just skip to that. So questions. Anyway, so that aside, uh, with Supergirl right now, we picked up uh, right after everything happened pestilence is dead purity is dead it is just rain we see the essences of these world killers go into rain and now i guess rain has all the powers hey i don't know why we didn't just have that in the first place why didn't we just have rain have all the power is that also following the comic book oh, that's i haven't looked into that is that something that happened where like she gains more power because her her other quote unquote siblings sisters pass and she gained i don't i don't understand why we needed all of that why did we need all of that and then uh now we're at the part where you know she's been instructed by the dark witches to kill abby yeah i'm gonna say it's that to kill the baby, or oh, Ruby, not even Abby. Psh, wrong, Ruby. To kill Ruby. So, I mean, I was following that logic. Like the dark witches keep seeing Sam take over Rain, and they need Rain to be the one that's in control. Even though this is a hologram witch, this is not a real person. More questions. So, they're like, all right, to you know, put the nail in the coffin for Sam. We got to get rid of Ruby because that is like a strong contender as to what's keeping her rooted. In this consciousness, and we need her gone. So, Rain goes after Ruby. She's trying to find where she is. Of course, it's not easy for her to find. uh, Surprisingly, Lena has done a good job of hiding Ruby, and I will get into more on that in a minute. It's very weird that she is so involved. So, things finally slip up because for whatever reason, Ruby decides to make a phone call to her mom. And I know they were trying to play it out like this whole time Ruby hasn't had access to phones or any any other means of communication to speak with her mom. And now you've got a brand new person coming down. Alex talks Lena into telling her where Ruby is, goes to visit Ruby, has a cell phone, leaves it out in the open because foreshadowing. And of course Ruby tries to make the call. So that is enough for Rain to figure out where she is. She goes after where Ruby is. And it leads to this scene where she very nearly kills this girl. She goes after them. Manel can't get to her. Supergirl can't get to her. Alex, even with this armor that she's been given, is useless against her. And she's kind of pinned there with Ruby. And Ruby manages to gain this Gatling gun and gets ready to aim it at Rain. Sees, and in the process of all this fighting, miraculously, Rain's mask falls up, falls off. It hasn't fallen off. Any other fight? Anyway, logic aside, Sam Ruby is able to able to see that Rain and Sam are the same person. So she crumples into tears, and Rain's like, "Whatever," and gets ready to kill her. <laughs> and Supergirl manages to get the one up on her. She uses some logic uh, that she gained from Jean's dad, in that um, basically uh, using Rain's on values against her. So Rain is all about. Justice and trying to correct the world from its injustices, and she goes after people who have sinned. And technically, Ruby hasn't done anything. She's a child. She's literally innocence. So killing her would be to go against all of those values. So Supergirl points this out, and it's enough for Rain to hesitate, and that's enough for them to take her down. So Monel is able to shoot off this kryptonite-loaded Gatling gun. More on that later. And they're able to lock her up in L Corp because they're working with Lena because Lena was able to house her until the the siblings three came down. More questions. That's where we leave Rain. I have more questions on that as well because Rain now has the power of all three. So I don't know how this is going to hold her the same, but whatever. So that is still going on. Uh, I also don't know why Lena is becoming really unlikable. She's really unlikable right now. So that kryptonite Gatling gun, there's a whole arc in this with Lena, I guess, trying to like really figure out what to do with her ideals with Supergirl now. Now that all of it has been crashed after her epic lie about, well, A, withholding information about even holding Sam and knowing that Sam and Rain were the same person, but also saying that she had no kryptonite and then actually had kryptonite and having to explain that, the whole shebang. After all that went down, the lesson Sam took from that wasn't like oh yeah i need to be forthcoming with my information especially in regards to the federal government that's trying to protect people and supergirl i t- i've learned that supergirl is a hypocrite and therefore i don't need to trust her with anything that's the lesson she's taken away from all of this and i know i know the writing is trying to set it up like lena and kara are the same sides of the same, or well, I guess different sides of a same of the same argument in that, you know, they're both trying to protect people. They're both, you know, having to withhold information and/or straight lie about things in order to protect these people, uh, and both feel like they're the one that's in the right. I know that's just what they're trying to set up for us, but it doesn't really feel earned, especially in regards to Lena. I feel like they just dropped all this information for her really recently. It wasn't a slow build. It wasn't like these are things that had been on her mind this entire time. We learn all of this now, after they find out that she's been holding rain this whole time. And I know they're trying to keep it, like it's the same thing. Like So the whole argument Lena had with Supergirl was that, yeah, I might've lied about having kryptonite, but it shouldn't have been a big deal because you only have one thing that can kill you and humans have a gazillion. That argument itself didn't make any sense. To me, I'm. It, you have a literal alien that is damn near unstoppable, damn near undefeatable. With the exception of this one thing, kryptonite. And not only can this thing work as a fast-acting poison on them, I mean, it's so drastic. It's a, it's a huge, huge thing for them to get taken down with it. This one thing. But her argument was that like, uh. I guess she's try, they were trying to pose Kara's position on being vulnerable around Kryptonite as like her being hypocritical uh, against everything else that regular humans have to deal with, which is what Lena's trying to fight for. But it did not come across that way at all. It very much felt like a very petty little kid argument of like, well, you didn't do this either kind of thing. And I mean, it... It boils down to James having to talk to Lena and being like, you need to tell her you can make kryptonite, you need to try and share it. It's something they can use to help against rain. Begrudgingly, she goes to do so. She does not get the reaction she wants from Supergirl. And I don't understand why she thought she would get anything else at all. She lied. She lied, a really huge lie. then on top of that, she lied again. So like, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> I was really confused as to why we were supposed to side with her over, over this thing. It it didn't, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. So that, that weird conversation. And that leads us to like the end of the episode. So after everything goes down and, you know, Lena gives him the kryptonite to put in that Gatling gun to take Rain down and now Rain's in Elkhort. We find her um, going to, I want to say Alex's apartment. I'm going to say Alex's apartment, uh, where Ruby is now staying at because reasons. And um, she's bringing all kinds of, um, Lena is bringing all kinds of ice cream to like, you know, help Ruby get settled. It's been a crazy ordeal for this poor child. And uh, she sees Kara in the elevator, Kara in her disguise, because just glasses works, apparently. And they lead a whole conversation. As smart as Lena is, I find it really hard to believe that she doesn't know Kara and Supergirl are the same person, but whatever. So they get into the elevator, they have a whole conversation like, oh, I haven't seen you in so long, yada, yada, yada. And she, they eventually start going over the big drops, the big truth bombs that have dropped around Supergirl and Lena. And Lena basically tells her like, yeah, don't meet your heroes, blah, 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 blah. And as Kara pushes her for like more information as to why she basically basically compares her, compares Supergirl to her mother. She's like, she tried to use my personal relationships against me. Uh, I can never trust her again. You know, she's completely hypocritical, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Okay, and again, like, I just I just don't understand why we're supposed to see this as the same thing. I don't understand why we're supposed to see this as the same. Maybe it's a bias on my part. Maybe because I know Supergirl is trying to act for the better good at all times, uh, and the fact that it really wasn't Lena's business in the first place. She's not part of the DEO. It's not like the DEO contracted her as a subcontract or something for a mission that she needed this intel on at all. She literally kidnapped a girl. She literally is. She literally took Ruby away to hide her and told no one else. She's not the guardian of Ruby. She's not like, an appointed any kind of official for this child. She just straight up took her and hid her. But for whatever reason, because she felt it was out of the goodness of her heart, we're supposed to see this as the same caliber as what Kara has been trying to do to protect everybody? I don't follow this logic. And I find Lena incredibly unlikable right now. So, I mean, and... I can't help but blame this break. I can't help but blame the break. I don't understand. Maybe it would've made more sense watching it all together. Like maybe once it's on Netflix, like I'll binge through all of it and be like, maybe this makes more sense, but not right now. I don't, I don't understand it. So I realized, I found out the the finale isn't until June 18th. So we're gonna get more of this madness for the next few weeks at the very least. yeah, weird. Just weird. Oh, and Monel's staying. So, in my rant about why is Monel here, we now get him. St- the reason for that was because he's staying. So, after everything went down, they get the ship fixed and they're about to leave. We get this like throwaway uh, from Brainiac about how, like, you know, if a Legionnaire stays back, they have a, an 88 point, whatever percent chance of actually defeating Rain. If a Legionnaire does not stay back, it, that goes down to 50. So, with that information, very convenient. In uh, in Irma's declaration to Monel, she knew it was up. Like as soon as they came back and she woke from her pod and everything, she knew. The, and I mean, it was clear as day when he landed in the future too. He was in love with Kara. This was the thing they were gonna do for whatever stupid reason. They were like, "Ooh, to like appease something, we might as well go ahead and get married." I don't. I didn't really understand the logic behind like you know this. This was like a political marriage because. His people don't exist anymore. How How is it political? Thousands of more questions. He like That's how we ended the last season. All his people died. They all died. So he's literally the last one. How is this political? Anyway, so Irma basically gives him permission to, A, not only get out of their marriage, she doesn't so much say, like, I'm open to the divorce, but she basically says, like, I deserve better. I deserve to have somebody who's gonna, you know, wanna be with me and love me the same way that you love Kara. So she's like, I'm going to give you the option. You can come back with us, but if you come back with us, you have to love you have to love me 100% or you can stay and help stay whatever they got to do and be with Kara. Like that's the option she gives him. Mad convenient. Of course he stays. And so now he's, I mean, it, it worked out in that he, you know, he, could, he would, was one of the few people that could handle the kryptonite because he doesn't have the same effects on him, um, but also lame. Like why, 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 why do we need this? We don't, we don't need it. So whatever. So, and then the, the way the episode ends is that we get a whole new arc or what seems like a whole new arc in that we see somebody, this girl, grab a journal with all kinds of weird writing in it. We find out it's Thomas Colville's journal. Thomas Colville was the leader of the cult for Supergirl. Uh, Well, no, the cult of Krypton. The cult. He studied a lot of Kryptonian religion, like a lot of it. So we see this little girl steal one of his journals. We see people calling after her and she runs out of whatever little room building this thing is that's how they end the episode. Why are we introducing a whole nother layer to the story? What is going on? Oh, Supergirl, why, why, why? That's gonna lead me into Flash because also still, why? This, this season of Flash is dumb. I feel like they've been running in place for no reason. It's not uncommon for them to follow the pattern of, okay, we've got a major overarching villain for the season. They're gonna seem like almost undefeatable. That's what they do for every episode, for every season. Uh, Team Flash is going to try their best to get after them, but they're not gonna find a resolution until the end of the season. Like that's how it's always been. But for whatever reason, this particular villain, and I know they're trying to like pump them up as like the the ultimate villain, like one of the hardest villains ever because it's supposed to escalate it year after year after year but instead it just feels like it got real lazy. It feels like they were like, oh yes, we're gonna add these obstacles, but they're just not gonna figure it out because reasons. Like it doesn't, feel, it doesn't feel like Team Flash was actually doing anything against this new villain. And that's why this villain is just doing as much as they are. I mean, they created, it, they created the thinker and the thinker's supposed to be somebody, a, a villain that just knows how to get ahead. So super well, just get ahead of everything, get ahead in all kinds of planning. But at the same time, they made him almost like a Superman-esque type person and that like nothing they do ever works. They haven't gotten close once. Once, Not, not once. And it's not like previous seasons where they've built it up like, ooh, they've almost got them and then didn't because something happened or something went wrong. It's been like, nothing's gone right ever. And they've gained no information. Like it, it feels very stagnant on the Team Flash part. So for whatever reason, we pick up with this episode, still trying to face DeVoe. I feel like it's a mute point now. I feel like there's no reason for us to even go after DeVoe. We're not gonna stop anything until the satellites are in the air. So why are we bothering? But whatever, they try, they try to go after DeVoe, still fail, surprise. Um, I, the thing I did like that they tried to do was finally talk about Marlies. So Marlies has been painted as somebody they could flip like pretty early on in the season. They showed her as like the one variable in Devos' plan that they could change. But for whatever reason, they have refused to act on it until this very episode. I found out the finale is next week. So that's probably why they waited so long to do everything. But it just, oh, it just feels terrible. So... DeVoe manages to get the last mega, the the poor man who can turn into a bomb, the atomic guy. He finally gets him. And after a very weak attempt by Flash to stop that from happening, he secures him. He gets his satellites in the air. He gets them charged. And now that plan is set and going fully into motion right now. It's really happening. Um, For whatever reason, um, Joe's wife, Cecile? I'm gonna say her name is Cecile. Her, uh, meta powers are starting to expand. So she not only can she read thoughts, but she can take on the persona of the persons whose thoughts that she's inhabiting, which they are definitely gonna feed into finale. The thinker is definitely gonna be using her. So that's probably why. Uh, we've also got, we've got Caitlyn and Cisco trying to do their best. Caitlyn is still trying to figure out how to get Frost uh, and how to get this meta ability going. They gave us a nice twist at the end with, uh, for whatever whatever reason, they threw in like this, Caitlin might be hiding something from herself story. So we've got Caitlin going to see a shrink after her visit with Amunet the other episode. She's trying to take things seriously uh, in mental health for her. And uh, the psychologist, I wanna say, I don't know if she's, she's not a psychiatrist. Psychologist brings up that maybe uh, there's something in her childhood that she ref- hasn't really healed from. And Caitlin's like, no, I'm good. Like, there's nothing happening. And so that they kind of lead that into the rest of the episode as things start to fall apart for them. She literally bangs into a wall, kind of shakes loose a memory of her, a uh, traumatic memory for her, where I think she's trying to ride a bike and she falls and there's a car coming and she, she screams and freaks out. And... um they work through it to see what's going on. She ends up getting Cisco to help her vibe through this memory. And in the memory, we see when Caitlyn's in like an absolute danger, we see a young Killer Frost persona take over, which is way before that Collider incident, before she could even really call herself a Meta. So that was an interesting little twist that they threw in there. Again, I don't know how well this is going to pay off because the finale is next week. So... That, and that was pretty much it. Maybe trying to put, to turn Marlies. Team Flash can't do anything against Devo. more Killer Frost maybes kind of thrown in the air. And that's it. And that was all we got for Team Flash. I don't, uh, this, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure they have a next season coming up. I'm pretty sure about that. This isn't the first time they've had a slow season either. But I'm hoping they figure out they can do something with, with what they've got. I mean, there's gotta be better stories to tell. This, I don't know if it was the villain. I don't know if it was just the storytelling or maybe there was just a lot of other interferences that were happening, but this season sucks. This season is not great. So yeah, that's gonna be it for the DCTV segment and I'm gonna be jumping into The Expanse right after this. All right, so we're gonna be jumping into the expanse. Uh, I was really surprised that we got so many, so much resolution in this episode of the expanse, which was kind of refreshing from the earlier days of what I was watching. Uh, uh. Anyway, expanse being fantastic as always. Hashtag save the expanse. So uh, we we get really fast resolutions with what's going on. Earn right. Mao, Nguyen, the hybrid conspiracy tour, even even stuff against Dr. Strickland, aka the Mad Scientist. We get a lot of answers and resolution for a lot of the things that have been in the air up until then. So um, basically, we finally get Wright getting his Just Desserts. Uh, the video has made its way to Pastor Reverend Ava, Reverend Ava, And she shows this to Esteban, to um, what's his face, to the Secretary General. And uh, he's, of course, he's shocked to learn uh, what he's seeing. And she's hoping that this is going to be a tool for him to use to be a better person. And instead, he sees it as a tool to save his ass. Like he sees what went down. He sees how basically everything that she's kind of been alluding to is the fact that this has been built on a lie is in fact true. They uh, corner earn right with it in kind of to earn rights credit, even though he's a sleazy, sleazy, sleazy asshole. To his credit, rather than get mad at the secretary general, he gets mad at, at Ava. And the speech he gives makes complete sense. He's like, this secretary general is an idiot, an absolute idiot. He's He's literally a parrot. It doesn't matter who is talking to him. He's just gonna repeat the last things he's heard. So there's no reason for me to go after you. Um, you, It's amazing you even got as far as you did. Like he's just given this whole like belittling speech to the secretary general, um, but also not really denying the fact that he did all that to start the war and get every everybody in trouble and have all these lives lost. Like he's just basically like, Watch out for yourself. Like any hope you have for the Secretary General that you think you've got, useless, useless. He gets taken away. He goes to jail, and uh, we find out that you know he's going to be tried for for a lot of things. For a lot of things. So we probably aren't going to see Earnwright for a very long time. Meanwhile, we've got Mao and Strickland um, facing off with the the, uh, the crew. There we go. The crew of the Rossinotti. I know that's not the ship's name, but that's what we're going to keep calling it. So. Bobby's there. You've got Amos and Prax trying to find May. you got Holden also in there. And they're on the ground, made their way into the facility finally. Um, they're able to track down with the help of uh, Bobby's suit where the kids are being held. And uh, they kind of like split up basically. The hybrid's on the loose because Strickland and Mao are like, we need to buy time. They leave the high hy- they let the hybrid loose. It's no longer Katoa, poor Katoa. He's gone. It's now just all hybrid. So they let the hybrid loose. Bobby's like, I'm on the hybrid. Go get the kids. Of course, Holden and Co. are like, wait, Bobby. And she's like, nah. This is Bobby's chance to not only get revenge against, you know, losing all of her team from before, but to also, like, I guess just finally put some put some things down with everything that's kind of caused the mess. That hybrid was the catalyst to everything that's gone wrong for her since she came across it. So it's a way for her to get like some closure, get a little revenge the whole night. So she takes off after the hybrid and the rest of the group kind of splits apart. So you get Amos and Prax looking for May. Prax is very much gearing himself up to be like, okay, May is the hybrid, May is the hybrid. I'm ready to just put people down in, the, in honor of her name, basically. He he does not really have a high hope of seeing his actual little girl, May. So, I mean, that's even after Holden shows him like the picture of the kids. Like it's a whole part where they break into like the data s- systems to get control of, are they on a ship? I guess a facility? And uh, May's picture comes up and he's just like, okay. So they finally get to the kids. It's him and, him and Amos. They see the little kids. Strickland is smart. I will give Dr. Strickland the fact that he is Smart, it's him and like one solo nurse that's left. Um, there were oh, but there was a whole thing where like Mao and him had like made plans to like survive this together. That like we are just going to like sacrifice all the other people, the kids, if we need to, so that we can get out. So, Mao gave the instruction to all of the other people working on this facility to fight uh the Rosnati crew that was coming on with like extreme prejudice. Of course, they're not fighters, so they get dispatched pretty quickly. So we're left with like one solo nurse who had been helping to group the kids with Strickland. Uh, Strickland puts him into an airlock and then takes her out. And he's like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna separate ourselves from the kids and she pieces together. Oh, okay, because we're gonna use the kids to save ourselves. Cool, I'm down. And he's like, exactly. And then he shoots her. And that was all a setup so that he could say that like, she was trying to control everything, but he was trying to save the kids. And, I, you know, I gotta give it to him. That's pretty smart. That's pretty smart on the fly. Of course, it didn't work, but A for effort, Strickland. A for effort. So he tries to pass it off like he's been trying to help the kids. Of course, Praxis is not believing it because he just, he watched him take his daughter off of the other site they were at. Oh, I don't remember what it's called, but the, you know, the other planet they were on, the moon, I think. Yeah, it was the moon, that they were on. He watched him kidnap his daughter, and he knows testing has been going on. They've seen the other kids, they've seen the other hybrids. So he's just staring at this man, like, no. And so they, get, they see the kids. They see the kids, the kids come out, and May sees Prax. And it's a very adorable reunion with hugs and I love you, Dads, and super cute. And he gets May to like, he kind of takes May to the side and is like, what exactly happened? And she tells him about Katoa, about how they did something to Katoa and how he's not doing good. And so they're able to piece together that hybrid they saw, probably was Katoa. And Prax Ames is gunning Strickland and is like, no, I need to do this for my daughter's sake, for all of the madness that I have been put through. I need to do this. Amos talks him out of it because Amos is a good bro. And it's just like, nah, you're not that type of man. You're not gonna do this. Prax is like, okay. And he's like, go ahead, take May, take the kids. Start making your way back to the Rasnati. He's like, all right. And then Amos locks himself in the airlock with Dr. Strickland. And he takes out Dr. Strickland. And it was a very nice move for Amos. Dr. Strickland had to get get put down. He did. He, had, he knew way too much information. He's done way too many horrendous things. And in order to really provide closure for Prax, he needed to go. So Amos took it upon himself to do it. He gave that epic line of like, I said, he wasn't that type of man. I'm that type of man. And takes him out. Done. Gets back to the kids. Amos with kids, hilarious. So you see him go and take the kids off. Uh, we've got Holden who went after Mao, which again, brilliant. He manages to corner Mao and he takes him with him. He's like, I'm not going to kill you. You got to come with us. And so, you know, Mao is trying to convince him, like, this was for the greater good. We were trying to find out more information. And then Holden just like corners him with this question of, like, did you? Did you succeed in any of the endeavors you're trying to do? And he's like, no. He's like, huh. So he takes him. And now Mao is a prisoner to Officer Roller, which is a nice flip of events. Very nice. I also like that they kept him alive. So, I mean, because he is the loose end right now, especially in regards to Earnright. He's the one that's going to be able to give a bunch of information. And honestly, he's the one who could probably get the most out of the position that he's in. He can share the information he's got. He can ask for amnesty, at least for his family in the very least, and try to go from there. So that's headed down the way it's going. Um, But yeah, bottom line, they managed to save the kids to get out of the facility. Bobby managed to kill that hybrid. Her suit was dying. It was a whole situation. She was losing power. And those suits, you need to have an an insane amount of muscle to even move in that suit at its high-powered ability in the first place. So no power, the fact that she was able to lift her arm and take that thing out still, amazing, amazing for Bobby. So that goes down and they go and get Bobby. Uh, And we also have a a side story with Nguyen after everything that went down on his ship with, with the USS Agatha after every all the madness that has gone down with him flying those hybrids out, uh, Alex and Naomi make their way to that ship. Alex realizes, well, Avsarala realizes that those hybrids are going to Mars. They're going to Mars to take down Mars because it's all been puppeteered by Wright, and he is trying to terminate Mars in a big way. So Alex, of course, is freaking out. He just got that lovely video message from his son. I mean, his ex-wife is there. Honestly, that's his ex-wife. It's no longer his wife. So he's in a state of panic because they're going to die. It's gonna be like another, uh, that other poor place. I can't think of what it was called. But yeah, the, that other place where there was a bunch of hybrids running wild and just killing everything. Terrible. Or when the proto molecule was trying to take it over. So he's trying to figure out a way to stop it. Him and Naomi hacked the system and they realize they can't stop all the pods. They managed to take down like one or two and that's on top of the other ones they managed to shoot, but they can't redirect those pods. And Nguyen's no help. He's just sitting there smarmily. He knows he's gonna die, so he's just like, I got nothing to lose. They get a message from Kotiar. So Kochiar is still on this ship. The protomolecule is everywhere. It got hit by one of those pods and them trying to, and him and Nguyen trying to set everything off. And he gets infected by the proto-molecule. And he makes this decision to self-sacrifice. He's he's like, I'm going to blow up our ship. This is the only thing that we know really really ends them um and he kind of gives a message to ava sarala not really knowing if she can see it or not but of course she can see it it's a very heart-wrenching message about how like you know he's fulfilled his duty and he's he's good to go now so naomi and alex get off the ship before it explodes naomi manages to basically take all the shielding off of those pods and she gets an idea to try and enlist fred johnson's help to send off some missiles to kill the pods that are on their way to Mars. And again, it's Fred Johnson. So of course the team is like, really, really, Naomi, we going Fred Johnson again? And she's like, I'm not doing it without everybody's consent. We should talk about it amongst ourselves. And they realize it's really the only option they got. Fred Johnson has those missiles that he managed to secure from Earth. He's really their only option at this point. So she sends off her message and Fred Johnson gets rid of the pods. So it looks like everything's kind of turning up. Team Rasnati praxis back back with his little girl, May. They save the rest of the kids. Holden and Naomi even have a moment where they get back together. Oh, I mean, okay. Uh, Alva is back on top now. Her name is cleared. Earnwright's going to jail. They've got Mal in custody. Strickland's dead. It seems like everything's working. And then we see what's happening on the news. So we see Amos with the kids. He's feeding the kids and he's pouring milk into like one of the bowls. And you see him just continue to pour the milk in this bowl or what i'm thinking is milk who knows it's future food but his, his jaw drops and we see what he's looking at and there's a news feed about what's happening on venus because everybody's been looking at the activity around venus and this is where the protomolecule has been doing their work and we see something take off from the planet very much looking like a space jellyfish and just get into open space and he's like, what the fuck is that? And that's how we end the episode. So, I mean, one thing down, they got the kids back. Prax and May are back together. They got rid of a, of a hybrid. They stopped other hybrids from hitting Mars. But now the protomolecule is up and active and about to do something. So, so we're gonna get into the next episode. And uh, this show doesn't disappoint. The writing on this show is amazing. I can't wait to see where they're gonna go with this. Unfortunately, they are still canceled by Sci-Fi, but hopefully, they're being shopped around to other networks. Hashtag Save the Expanse is still going strong, and there's some big names getting added to that list. There is a full-on astronaut that is also like, me to save the show. You've got George R.R. Martin saying it'd be a huge disappointment if it did. Patton Walt- Os- Oswald is also on board. I do find it interesting though that a lot of people are hoping for like a Netflix. Situation, but a lot of people are also pushing for Amazon to pick it up. And even with the bigger names that have kind of been uh, hoping it gets saved, they've also kind of added Amazon for this, which makes me wonder if Netflix already passed. If Netflix was already like, nah, that's not happening. We're not doing it. So, I mean, I'm going to keep the hope up there. I hope Amazon picks it up. My fear is that Hulu is going to. So, I mean, I mean, I mean, it still would get saved, but ugh, yeah but hopefully it gets saved. So we'll see. And that's pretty much it for The Expanse. Fantastic episode. I love resolution. I love that we got some answers to stuff. And the fact that we're not even, I don't even think we're all the way, I think we're at the halfway point for this season. We're not even like at the end point. And we got all this answers means that there's even more stuff coming down the pike. So I'm excited. I'm excited. So we're gonna be talking about My Hero Academia right after this. all right so we're gonna be moving into my hero academia uh, next so my hero academia is my anime section here that's the show that i've been watching week after week right now it is taking up all of my time i've been watching black clover i'm tempted to talk about black clover but that's a show that's another fantasy type show where there's so much happening at one time i'd have to watch it like two three more times in order to really gauge everything it's a very layered story There's a lot of things happening i know there's a lot of complaints against black clover uh whether you watch it as a sub or a dub the voice acting on either on both ends isn't the greatest uh but i think that's intentional given that it's a okay bear with me i believe it's shonen it's a shonen type of anime so it's geared towards a younger age and i mean it gets the job done it's action filled we get a little bit of story uh, it does fall into a lot of tropes, with like the lead being the the special, the special. What <coughs> what I like about Black Clover is that there's more than one lead. You actually have two. You've got two leads kind of running parallel to each other, and there's constant other rivals jumping into the story as well. But there's there's a lot of like really okay kind of happening on it so i'm um, i'll probably have to watch it a little bit more i'm also really confused with its airing schedule i thought we were only getting the first season and it very much feels like we are already getting into the second season so i don't know what's happening so i'm gonna try and watch it again and i'll weigh back and forth if it's something i really really want to go over but my hero academia is definitely a passion of mine and i love it and this episode was no exception so we pick it right up where we left off with Team Soji Todoroki and Deku trying to get Bakugo. Bakugo got taken by Compress. Tokoyami also got taken by Compress and they managed to finally catch up with this fool who was literally flying uh, and landed on him and crashed him to the ground. So we see them square off against the League of Villains with everything that's going down. I'm still amazed at how much adrenaline is actually working to keep Deku upright right now. His arms are literally in splints because he's broken. He's broken. So him, Soji, Todoroki, they're all trying to face off these villains to get Bakugo back, um and Tokiomi back. And we get a lot of monologuing between them and Compress. Compress especially. There's just a lot happening there with compressed, like talking about sleight of hand and how you shouldn't trust the first thing you see and, and how you know they, they've done at least some of their job to take this back to the League of Villains. And in the hustle and hubbub of everything that's going down, uh, surprises of surprises, we get Oyama popping through. So Oyama was hiding. He was hiding in the bushes earlier. Uh, scared out of his mind. I mean, two of his classmates were passed out from the smoke. Uh, He wasn't able to keep his mask on. I don't know if that's out of fear or something else happened, but he basically was trying to like breathe through his hands. He almost got caught by the villains. And then he um, was too scared to do anything once he was there. He heard that the others were fighting. He heard the message that you could go ahead and uh, fight back, but instead of doing so i um, he probably I mean he was alone. He was alone. So That's that's all of my um My excuses for him. So I mean because I like him this character is hilarious This character is very much like hello. Yes, I'm beautiful. <laughs> and I'm here to save you. Aren't you lucky like that kind of <laughs> character and I love those types of characters. They're just like ridiculously foolish right up front, have all this false confidence for some reason. And uh, they're usually just straight idiots. They're idiots, but with like hearts of gold. So, you know, I mean, there's that. But, you know, still still idiots. So, I mean, and it was nice that he was able to help when he was. So apparently, I don't know if he's been following them or if they were literally just not that far away from where he was hiding in the bushes, but it gets to like this contentious point where... Uh, Soji thought he had managed to grab one of the marbles from Kompress. Uh, or no, the marbles from Compress. But it turned out those were decoys and Compress actually hid them somewhere else in his mouth. Ugh, like, ugh, what? So Compress reveals that. He's in the midst of monologuing about how smart he is and brilliant that he was that he hid them. He takes them out of his mouth and that's when Ayomi fights. Ayoma, yeah. Ayomi, yeah. Iomi? Ioma. Ayoma. Ayoma. Oh, Yama, I can't, yeah. So decides to fight. Like all of a sudden you see a beam shoot from the bushes and it's enough to distract them and startle the villains that they drop one of the marbles. Oh, mar- drop the marbles and in the, the rush to get them, Soji manages to secure one of the marbles and Todoroki's right there to grab the next one, but he misses it by literal seconds. Compress grabs that other one and uh, they start to make their escape because uh, the gate guy is back, the warp gate. Quirk evil villain is there to take everybody back, and so now, um, basically, is it is it stain? I want to no, that's not stain. That's the hero killer. Whoever the other guy is, he's like, we need to make sure we have the right guy with us, and so you know, undo your stuff. So compress undoes his his quirk for you know turning him into marbles. Turns out Soji ma- managed to grab Tokiomi, but they still have Bakugo, so they take Bakugo with them through that warp gate. And it's very much just a Deku no situation with him screaming into the air. And then we get into the next day uh, and Bakugo is is at the villain hideout right now. They've got him like secured to a chair and uh, Deku is in the hospital, which he should be because he's broken. So Deku's in the hospital. Apparently he's like in and out of consciousness. He's got a crazy high fever because his body is demolished. Uh, but he's on the repair so we get the sense that he's on the repair and he gets visited by his classmates and they make it pretty clear pretty fast that uh they've got a plan to go and get bakugo so it's not the whole class that's doing this it's definitely bakugo's best friend which is uh ijiro who is the guy who can harden he can turn into rock and todoroki who's definitely like yeah we're going and we're gonna go get him this is what we're gonna do ijiro i get he's super close to bakugo and he's not gonna let his friend get taken away todoroki isn't necessarily close to bakugo but i feel like he's like i'm a hero we were a team and on my watch he got taken so i feel it's like a it is a loyalty thing still for todoroki and of course deku is like we've got a side you know that's his childhood friend even though they've been enemies frenemies more so on on bakugo's side than anything but He's like, I'm in. We're also I'm gonna go get you know help you guys with this. Mind you, he's still in the hospital. And thankfully, Ida's there and it's just like, Are you crazy? Is everybody dumb? Like, what the we just we just managed to get out of the danger that we were in during our camp. And now you wanna go and face these guys with even lesser numbers and no pros? Are you dumb? So he's just and he you see him flashing back to to the scolding he got when he was like, ooh, yeah, I'm gonna go after this villain by myself to get revenge from my brother, and it turning out terrible. Ida is definitely a real follower, but I think he also sees the bigger picture. Like, we can't just willy-nilly go and do this stuff and think that it's going to work out fine. We're in way over our heads. These villains have quirks that some of us, we still don't really understand. We don't have enough information on anything, and we're not pros. We can't just be out here doing reckless shit without consequences. There's gonna be heavy consequences. So he's trying to talk them out of it, but of course it's not gonna work. And Todoroki and Ijiro actually have a pretty decent plan. So Momo managed to put that button on that Nobu that they came across in the previous episode. Uh, Awase helped to like basically just weld that into it. And she managed to create a, a tracking device to trace that button. And she gave it to All Might and the police officer, you know, the professionals, so that they could go to the hideout and get Bakugo back. Like, that was the plan. And Todoroki and Ijiro heard that plan and they were like, we are also going to go. It's like, okay, okay, guys, all right. So, uh, but I mean, Ida knows it or not, he's not gonna be able to stop them and it's gonna be a whole situation. And Deku's on board. He's like, I'm in. So they're gonna see if they can talk Momo into making a duplicate tracer so they can go and get you know, Bakugou themselves. Because, because reasons, because show. So, and that's where we kind of left it. It's only 30 minutes, it's real fast, real quick. Uh, I'm excited though. I'm excited to see where this is gonna take off. So in, in, the, in the manga, cause I actually read this story arc, uh, things escalate pretty fast once they make this decision. And it ends pretty epically with this, this story arc. So I'm excited to see how far they go with this. I'm also excited to see how long this season is gonna be. Is this season just this arc or is it going to lead into other manga? So more things to think about. But that's pretty much it for My Hero Academia. I mean, real quick, real short, real sweet. And uh, yeah, can we see the next episode? And thankfully, I mean, barring some type of holiday or, or scheduled break they've got going on, we should get another another action-filled episode next week. So, excited and interested in seeing how that's gonna go. And uh, now I'm gonna be transitioning into Deadpool, the non-spoiler review. I managed to catch Deadpool uh, this past Thursday, actually, uh, when it finally came out for the public to view. And it was good. It was good. So this Deadpool is definitely different than the first Deadpool. Uh, Some people, some of the reviews, if you're checking that out, talk about how uh, it's definitely either going to be like another fan favorite or it's going to rub people who watched the first movie the wrong way. So there's that. It's definitely different than the first film, but I don't think they lose essence of Deadpool in that. Ryan Reynolds is doing a fantastic job of really embodying this character when he's doing the films. So you don't lose any of the gems that you would normally get from Deadpool. And I really love the lens we get with Deadpool in this particular sequel that we got. So it was really cool. Uh, Time travel is involved. That's, I don't think that's a big spoiler. I mean, that that's pretty much shown in, in the trailers. We see what's going on. We see Cable kind of arrive, so we know something's going on with that. And um, I mean, they're, they're big bad for this movie, was a character I've never heard of, so I'm gonna have to do some research on that. Uh, we know the X-Force is a part of it, so uh, the X-Force is actually shown in the trailers. Terry Crews, Lewis Tan, uh, Zazie Beats. yeah, Zazie, Zazie Beats, a bunch of other people. They're all in this team. Uh, that actually got me excited to see the X-Force spinoff. So there's literally gonna be an X-Force spinoff and they set this up in a way so that that X-Force spinoff can still go the way they want it to go. I am hoping, I'm hoping that it's gonna, we're gonna see some familiar faces in the, this next one, but who knows? Who knows with Fox, they do their own thing. So. But I mean, it got me excited to at least see it. I hadn't heard of X-Force before this either. I was familiar with some of the characters like Bedlam, but, and definitely Domino, but not all of them. And so it'll it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how that spin-up in particular is going to work. And if they're gonna include Deadpool in it since he mentions them in his sequel. I'll be interested to see how that's going to work. I was just really excited to see Lewis Tan as Shadow Star and seeing Terry Crews as Bedlam, see him play an actual Marvel superhero. That was really, really awesome. I love him in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I love him in a lot of the films that he's been in. He's hilarious. He's hysterical. And of course, Zazzy killed it. She killed it as Domino. She got to play like a pretty major part in the film I just thought she did an amazing job. This, this amazing fro, how she used her ability, her snappy clapbacks. I mean, all of it. It was great. She did a really good job. And I mean, that's all really I'm, I'm gonna say about Deadpool 2 until next week when I'll get into the spoilers. But it was good. It was really good. It was worth the watch. I'm definitely gonna see if I can catch it again um, before the end of next week. And and yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much gonna wrap it up over here for Curvy Geeky Fangirl. Uh, so let me know what you guys thought if you guys had your own ideas or reactions to any of the shows I talked about if you have any shows you want to suggest for me to check out and give my two cents on I would Appreciate that too. Let me know like I said you can hit me up through this anchor app. You can um, leave me some claps They have an applause feature or you can leave a voice feedback as well and uh, I will put it on the air if you guys hit, hit me back with that you can also reach me on my Instagram and my Twitter That's under Curvy Geeky Fangirl. Twitter is interesting because there are character limits. So for Curvy Geeky Fangirl, you've got to take out the A and the I in Fangirl. So it looks like Curvy Geeky Fangirl for Twitter. But all that is on my website, CurvyGeekyFangirl.com. And yeah, that's going to be it. I will see you guys same bat time, same bat channel for next week. Have a great week. Bye